0: Jeffrey Epstein allegedly blackmailed Bill Gates over a sexual relationship with the young bridge player. Tim Scott launches his campaign for the 2024 Republican nomination. And Joe Biden is stuck between a rock and a hard place on the debt ceiling. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Protect your online privacy today at expressvpn.com. Alrighty, so ever since 2019, when Jeffrey Epstein was found dead of an apparent suicide by hanging in his jail cell, there's been a lot of speculation about what exactly happened to Jeffrey Epstein. Obviously, the big joke meme online is that Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself, but there are serious questions as to whether Jeffrey Epstein actually killed himself, considering that he said previously that he was not going to kill himself, and then he apparently hanged himself in a jail that was supposed to be secure in the first place. But there have been a lot of questions surrounding Jeffrey Epstein for years, because Jeffrey Epstein hobnobbed with all the richest and most famous people on the planet, and nobody had any idea exactly where Jeffrey Epstein had gotten his money. And nobody knew why it was that Jeffrey Epstein, who was in serious trouble with the law in the mid-2000s, was still able to gather all sorts of attention and credibility from some of the richest and wealthiest people and most famous people on the planet. All those questions have been percolating in the background. So as early as 2020, 2019, 2020, there were serious questions about where exactly Jeffrey Epstein had gotten all of his money. There was talk about the idea that he had a 70-acre secluded island, that he had multiple homes all over the place, that he had supposedly amassed a fortune of 500 million pounds, which amounts to something like 700 million dollars, and it is very unclear where exactly he made that money because— He was fired for poor poor performance in his early academic career. And then he ended up at Bear Stearns. And then he worked there as a trader and then a partner for a long time. But then he had breached security violations. And then he left his job. That was in 1981. And then he set up a consulting firm called Intercontinental Assets Group. And it is totally unclear where exactly the money came in. But suddenly he was worth, you know, half a billion dollars or more. And nobody knew where that money had come from. And if again, you look at the timeline of Jeffrey Epstein's life, it is a very mysterious timeline. He started in the 1990s, this financial management firm, which included the CEO of Victoria's Secret as a client, according to CBS News. In the 2000s, he continued to invest tens of millions of dollars into various funds, including uh, a fund that was found to be leveraged 17 to 1 and that helped to eventually lead Bear Stearns into collapse in 2008. In March 2005, a 14-year-old girl became the earliest underage victim to formally accuse Epstein of molestation, citing an incident at his Palm Beach mansion. It took 10 years, 2015, before investigators executed a search warrant on Epstein's Florida home as the case brought forward several other teenage sex victims. But in 2006, police were charging Epstein with multiple counts of unlawful sex acts in a minor. State attorney Barry Krischer referred the case to a grand jury. The grand jury heard from only one accuser in June of 2006. In July 2006, after the Palm Beach grand jury, the FBI opened a federal investigation. In June of 2008, after more than a year of investigation and bargaining between the two legal sides, Epstein finally appeared in a Florida courtroom and ended up pleading guilty to one count of solicitation of prostitution and one count of solicitation of prostitution of a minor under the age of 18. He got an 18-month sentence, and he was registered as a sex offender. And then he began work release in jail as early as October of 2008. By July 2009, he was given early release from jail completely, and he never served time in a federal prison at all, at all. And then for years and years and years, he was hanging out with the most famous people on planet Earth. Jeffrey Epstein's little black book included names ranging from Bill Clinton to Donald Trump. Just a huge number of very, very famous people who are hanging out with Jeffrey Epstein. And after his death, there were questions as to where the records went. What was in his black book? Why did he know these people? And what was he doing for them? Were they paying him for something or other? Had he killed himself? Well, now we have a story that has emerged from the Wall Street Journal that really is shocking only in the sense that it's precisely what you expected. But the fact that it took this long for it to be uncovered is in fact rather surprising. And it serves as the foundation for the generalized theory that Jeffrey Epstein was essentially a blackmail specialist who must have had support of some sort of government because the fact is that everyone apparently knew exactly what he was doing and he escaped prosecution for a very, very long time. The reason I say this is because the story of what he did to Bill Gates here is truly an astonishing one. According to the Wall Street Journal over the weekend, Jeffrey Epstein discovered that Bill Gates had an affair with a Russian bridge player and later appeared to use his knowledge to threaten one of the world's richest men, according to people familiar with the matter. The Microsoft co-founder met the woman around 2010 when she was in her 20s. Epstein met her in 2013 and later paid for her to attend a software coding school. In 2017, Epstein emailed Gates and asked to be reimbursed for the cost of the course, according to one of the people familiar with the matter. The email came after the convicted sex offender had struggled and failed to persuade Gates to participate in a multi-billion dollar charitable fund Epstein tried to establish with Morgan Chase. The implication it was pretty clear was that if Epstein did not get the money from Gates, then he would reveal the affair. So again, the idea here is that he uncovered an affair that Bill Gates had had with this woman in early 2010s. And then Epstein later met her, found out about the story and then paid for her college education, her software coding education, simply so he could then go to Bill Gates and shake him down pretending that he was being reimbursed for that when, in fact, he was actually just being paid to shut down the blackmail. A spokeswoman for Gates said, Mr. Gates met with Epstein solely for philanthropic purpose. Having failed repeatedly to draw Mr. Gates beyond these matters, Epstein tried unsuccessfully to leverage a past relationship to threaten Mr. Gates. So that is Bill Gates acknowledging full well that Epstein was blackmailing him. Now, again, this is not a giant shock because this is probably what Epstein was doing with pretty much anyone. He had these very, very, Lucrative relationships with some of the richest, most famous perverts on the planet. I mean, there there's a reason that people are flying to and from Epstein Island, where he was pretty overtly trafficking in underage girls. Mila Antonova, the Russian bridge player in question, declined to comment on Gates and said she didn't know who Epstein was when they met. She said, I had no idea he was a criminal or had any ulterior motive. I just thought he was a successful businessman and, want, business and wanted to help. She, said, she added, I'm disgusted with Epstein and what he did. But again, this demonstrates exactly how Epstein was operating. He met with everybody around Bill Gates, apparently. He gained access to Bill Gates. And then while he was working on this charitable fund with J.P. Morgan Chase, he finally met in 2013 with Gates and other Norwegian officials visiting Epstein's townhouse. Epstein told one former Gates Foundation employee that he knew these Norwegian officials and could help Gates win a Nobel Peace Prize for his efforts to eradicate polio, at which point Gates and Epstein met together in March in Strasbourg, France. That September, Epstein scheduled a meeting with Gates and others at his townhouse. Now, again, so so it looks like he would make a connection with somebody and then he would dig up dirt on that person and then he would blackmail that person. And this is not the only story that has emerged about Jeffrey Epstein over the course of the last couple of months alone. It emerged a little bit earlier this month that Jeffrey Epstein helped move $270,000 from Noam Chomsky, the wild left linguist. And he also paid $150,000 to Bard College President Leon Botstein, according to the Wall Street Journal. Apparently, he had financial dealings with the two academics he had met with them multiple times as well. Now, again, we still do not have the entire list of what exactly Jeffrey Epstein was doing with all these people, but the baseline assumption has to be that if you had repeated contacts with Jeffrey Epstein over the course of years, there was a good shot that dude had dirt on you and that he was shaking you down for money. Remember, at the exact same time that he was shaking Bill Gates down for money, Bill Gates was pretty openly saying that he was not being blackmailed by Epstein. In fact, here is Bill Gates saying just that. Epstein had a way of sexually compromising people. Is that what Melinda was warning you about?
1: No. I mean, it, it's, no, I, I had dinner with him uh, and that's all.
0: And that you regret the relationship, the acquaintance?
1: That I had dinner with him. Mm.
0: And, and the relationship between the foundation and Epstein, which There was...
1: never was any
0: relationship of any kind. Okay, so that is Bill Gates pretty much openly lying to journalists saying, I was never shaken down by Epstein. We were just the best of friends, which raises a question about everybody else who says that they were best of friends with Jeffrey Epstein and raises the further question as to just how much Epstein was being protected by people in positions of power. I mean, the answer has to be some because otherwise, how could he get away with this for decades on end being a registered sex offender? Well, in just a second, we'll turn to the 2024 presidential race. But I think suffice it to say that a lot of the conspiracy theories that people have about people in positions of elite power who are working with one another or who are blackmailing one another or who are engaging in Im- improper behavior behind closed doors and then are making themselves susceptible to blackmail by state actors, that number is pretty shocking. When the full Epstein scandal eventually breaks, which I think it probably will, When that breaks, it's going to bring down a lot of worlds. Okay, we'll get to the 2024 race in just one moment. First, I want to talk to you about Daily Wire's most trusted privacy partner and premier sponsor of this show, ExpressVPN. Using the internet without ExpressVPN, it's like checking your baggage at the airport without a lock. You think your stuff is safe, but you never know who might be going through your belongings. When you go online without ExpressVPN, ISPs can see every single website you visit. They can then legally sell that information without your consent to ad companies and tech giants who then use that data to target you. When you use ExpressVPN, internet service providers can't see your online activity at all. Your identity is completely anonymized. Your data is also encrypted for maximum protection. I love ExpressVPN because it's really easy for non-tech savvy people like me to use. You fire up the app, you click one button, and now you're magically protected. ExpressVPN works on all my devices, phones, laptops, even routers, so everyone who shares my Wi-Fi is protected as well. Secure your data with the VPN I trust by visiting expressvpn.com ben today. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com ben. My listeners will get an extra three months for free. Again, that's expressvpn.com slash ben. Do not allow yourself to be put in a dire position by hackers, don't allow ISPs to control the data that you are putting out there, don't allow the government to watch what you're doing, go check out ExpressVPN right now, expressvpn.com slash Ben, and again, my listeners get an extra three months for free. Okay, meanwhile, the 2024 presidential race seems to be heating up, Tim Scott, the senator from South Carolina, has decided to launch what is largely considered a long-shot bid with Wall Street support. So Tim Scott's support is pretty soft on the ground. There are not a lot of grassroots Republicans who are very into the Tim Scott candidacy, but there are a lot of money Republicans who are very into the Tim Scott candidacy because, again, he represents a sort of kinder, more gentler brand of Republican politics. Doesn't mean that he doesn't have a lot of interesting things to say. But what Republican kind of the base is looking for right now, is a candidate with edge, a candidate who is willing to cut, a candidate who is rough and is willing to battle with the media. And the question for Scott is whether he is up to something like that, whether he is too conciliatory in demeanor, whether in fact he appears to be somebody who's a go-along to get-along type, you know, that, that makes a huge difference in a Republican primary these days. So Scott is trying to run a different sort of campaign, sort of the bright, sunny, optimistic campaign. He argued that he can unify the GOP, according to Bloomberg, with a positive, forward-looking message built around a compelling personal story and upbeat demeanor at an event in North Charleston, South Carolina. He led off his campaign, and here is what it sounded like.
1: We live in the land of opportunity. We live in the land where it is absolutely possible for a kid raised in poverty in a single-parent household in a small apartment to one day serve in the people's house and maybe even the white house Biden and the radical left are attacking every single rung of the ladder that helped me climb and that's why I'm announcing today that I'm running for president of the United States
0: America. Okay, so you know, I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of the affect. I'll be honest with you. I mean, if, if we're going to sort of analyze affect when you are running, it, that, that's not an amazing affect when you have to yell into the microphone to generate excitement. And I can't say there's a huge amount of buzz about Tim Scott outside of sort of the intelligentsia of the Republican Party. Again, I find Tim Scott a very, very appealing person. I think he's a terrific senator from South Carolina. Uh, I, I think that if you have to kind of categorize him with the rest of the Republican candidates right now, he probably goes in the Nikki Haley Mike Pence category, meaning people who are not Ron DeSantis, who are sort of hoping that DeSantis falls down on the job. And again, the, the question is whether he can actually get a crowd going. He tried it a couple of times during his opening speech. People were making fun of him online because he had what seemed to be sort of a Howard Dean moment. Howard Dean was the Vermont governor who ran for the presidential nomination on the Democratic Party ticket in 2004. He ended up not winning the nomination. He collapsed pretty late in the process when he had this very weird kind of screamy moment downstairs. It was very strange. Here's how Tim Scott led off his campaign. People were sort of making the comparison.
1: Okay.
0: <laughs> uh, again, you know, is the enthusiasm and the excitement there or does it seem to be you know, somewhat manufactured, yeah. it's, it, it doesn't seem like there is a lot of kind of call and plan for, for Scott to be the guy, but there are a lot of Republicans, coastal Republicans in particular, who are looking for somebody who isn't so abrasive. The problem, of course, is that the base is looking for somebody who's abrasive because they feel like they're under constant assault from the media, which they are. They feel like they are under constant assault from Joe Biden, which they are. And so the question is, who is going to be able to participate in a knife fight? Again, the reason that Donald Trump became the nominee in 2016 is largely because Republicans had run a couple of candidates who in affect were much more like Tim Scott. John McCain in 2008 was trying to run an upbeat, positive campaign. And then, of course, Mitt Romney tried to do the same thing. Kind of too smooth, not rough around the edges, not willing to get combative. The question for Tim Scott is whether he is able to get combative and kind of smooth, uh, almost use some sandpaper on himself in order to become less smooth just in terms of his personal affect the way that he approaches politics republicans want somebody abrasive he's not abrasive enough and again uh, being abrasive is a quality of authenticity it's not really clear by the way that scott has any sort of attack plan on trump and so he becomes also the latest republican candidate not to have an attack plan with regard to president trump in the early polling scott isn't even he's not even registering at this point Again, I think that the plan for a lot of the Republicans who are in the race who are not Ron DeSantis is basically stand aside, let Trump rip down DeSantis, maybe you rip down DeSantis too, and then you step into the gap. If you're an anti-Trump person, this strategy was tried back in 2016 to no avail. Every other Republican candidate basically said, I'm going to avoid hitting Trump and I'm going to hit Ted Cruz. I'm going to hit Marco Rubio. And then everybody else collapsed and the only one standing was Trump. Again, Scott is starting from way behind, but he does have some moneyed friends who are in this race. There were a couple of Republican colleagues who have already endorsed his bid. that be South Dakota Senators John Thune and Mike Rounds. Rounds called Scott the closest to Ronald Reagan that you will ever see. And Thune gave the opening prayer on Monday at Scott's campaign launch rally. He's also accepted something like $30 million from Larry Ellison. Bill Haslam is serving as Scott's national campaign co-chair. He is visiting Iowa. He's sort of banking everything on the idea that maybe he will perform in outsized fashion in Iowa. Again, just because he has a great optimistic story does not necessarily mean that he is going to have a lot of durability in this race. I, I, you know, Democrats, I, I don't think, are very much afraid that Tim Scott is going to win the nomination. I don't think they're particularly afraid of him if he does win the nomination again because they think that he's too conciliatory. And I think the dead giveaway is how Donald Trump is responding to Tim Scott. We'll get to that momentarily first. Remember the last time you got one of those quote-unquote free phones? You started out feeling great. Then came the hefty activation fees four line requirements and, of course, the binding contract. PureTalk is giving you a free 5G Samsung Galaxy phone without the feeling that you've been duped. When you switch to PureTalk's Unlimited Talk and Text Data Plan that comes with the mobile hotspot, you'll get a 5G Samsung Galaxy for free. That's correct. Unlimited everything at a fraction of the price of Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile. Plus, you'll be on America's most dependable 5G network. How do I know? Well, because I myself have been using PureTalk for a while here. Make the switch to PureTalk the way that I did. They're the cell phone wireless company I'm proud to stand behind because they're proud to stand behind our mission here at Daily Wire. Pure Talk's U.S.-based customer service team helped me make the switch. In as little as 10 minutes, I was even able to keep my phone number. Head on over to puretalk.com slash Shapiro. Get your free Samsung Galaxy when you sign up for unlimited talk, text, and unlimited data. That is puretalk.com slash Shapiro. Pure talk is wireless for Americans by Americans. I made the switch over. I do all of my business calls from Pure Talk. You can do the same. can go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro. Get your free Samsung Galaxy when you sign up for unlimited talk, text, and unlimited Data, they're a company that doesn't hate your guts, and they will give you the service you need. Pure Talk, wireless for Americans by Americans. Go check them out right now. Okay, So Donald Trump obviously is not taking Tim Scott's candidacy particularly seriously. It is very obvious that Donald Trump believes that Ron DeSantis is the true only threat to his candidacy. He put out a statement reading, quote, Good luck to Senator Tim Scott in entering the Republican presidential primary race. It is rapidly loading up with lots of people. And Tim is a big step up from Ron DeSantis, who is totally unelectable. I got opportunity zones done with Tim. A big deal that has been highly successful. Good luck, Tim. Okay, I have a question. When has Donald Trump ever wished somebody good luck genuinely? Like truly genuinely? Anybody who's a threat to him anyway. Anybody who's competitive with him. I'm sure there are lots of people in life he's wished good luck to. But when? Isn't anybody who threatens Donald Trump's interest, have you ever heard him be magnanimous and generous with other people running for president as a general rule? So far, he's been magnanimous about Vivek Ramaswamy. He's been pretty generous with him. He's been magnanimous with Tim Scott. He was slightly less magnanimous with Nikki Haley early on, and then he's kind of gone silent about her. The one who he is spending every iota of his time and effort on is Ron DeSantis. That is the guy. And again, the reason that is the guy is because Ron DeSantis is combative. Ron DeSantis does have a quality record in the state of Florida. Ron DeSantis is to his right on pretty much every issue. He has has a ton of money ready to go in the bank. And so I think Trump, like pretty much everybody else, is assuming that DeSantis is going to be sort of his chief rival for the nomination. DeSantis, of course, has not even declared yet, and Trump is spending every waking moment thinking about Ron DeSantis. Well, that would make Trump one of two partners thinking about Ron DeSantis almost full-time. The other partner, of course, are members of the media. And you can see by the overwhelming wave of antipathy for DeSantis, they really want Trump. I'm talking about everybody here from CNN, and Politico, all the way up to Matt Drudge and Drudge Report. Drudge Report is running pretty much every hit piece he can find on Ron DeSantis at this point. I don't know whether that's for traffic or whether Drudge really likes Trump or what the story is here, but there is pretty obviously a lot of support for Donald Trump and a lot of antipathy toward Ron DeSantis in the way that the media are covering Trump. So the big fake story over the weekend targeting DeSantis, and there's one nearly every weekend now, some idiot story targeting DeSantis that doesn't make a whole hell of a lot of sense. The, The one from last week, of course, was the idea that Disney had canceled this billion-dollar project in Orlando. And then it turned out, well, actually, Disney was ready to cancel that back in November because it didn't pencil out for them since they've been losing money hand over fist. They lost 4 million subscribers and half their stock value over the course of the last years. So why exactly would they build a $1 billion headquarters in Orlando that was completely separate from their creative team in California? But they cancelled it, and then they claimed Bob Iger did that. It was Ron Santos and the media just totally ran with it. Oh, he must—that he's being totally honest with you. It's not a lie at all. It must be totally okay. So today's lie of the day comes courtesy of the NAACP, which of course is a wild left-wing organization. Drudge made this his top headline. CNN headlined it. The NAACP issued a travel advisory about traveling to the great state of Florida. So first of all, let me just say this: If the left warns you not to come to Florida, I totally agree with them. Don't come. Please don't move here. Please don't vacation here. We are perfectly happy here without you. And if you could just stay where you are in your miserable blue cities, we would be very happy to not have you here clogging up the traffic lanes and bringing your perverse views of politics down here. We are perfectly happy in our red state paradise down here in Florida. So if you would prefer to stay up there, please enjoy yourself in New York. Please, if you're in California, still enjoy yourself. Really enjoy the homelessness and crime and high taxes like let it rip. But. Let's be real about this. There's not actually a travel advisory from the NAACP. They're completely full of it. But the media ran with it anyway. Now, that, of course, is incredibly silly. Is the same NAACP that was complaining that Jim Crow 2.0 was being built in Georgia while black voters were being registered at the highest rate ever. So they, they have no credibility on these issues. But credibility doesn't matter when the media is trying to break a politician. Right now, they're going after Ron DeSantis because they're hoping for Trump to be the nominee. Trump wants to be the nominee. The media would like Trump to be the nominee. DeSantis is the guy most likely standing in his way. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, I have a brand new baby, and this as just another reason why I need life insurance. If you have dependents, you need life insurance. It is indeed that simple. A good life insurance plan can give you peace of mind that if something, God forbid, happens to you, your family will have a safety net to cover mortgage payments, college costs, or other expenses. Life insurance through your workplace may not offer enough protection for your family's needs. It won't follow you if you leave your job. Since life insurance typically gets more expensive as you age, you should have bought yesterday, but you should totally buy it today. Policy Genius makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from top companies and find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies starting at just $25 per month for a million bucks in coverage. Some options offer coverage in as little as a week and avoid those unnecessary medical exams. PolicyGenius's licensed agents work for you, not those insurance companies, which means they don't have an incentive to recommend one insurer over another, so you can actually trust their guidance. There are no added fees. Your personal information remains private. Your loved ones deserve a financial safety net, and you deserve a smarter way to find and buy it. Head on over to PolicyGenius.com or click the link in the description. Get your free life insurance quotes. See how much you could save. That's PolicyGenius.com. Again, Policy genius Dot com slash Shapiro. Go check them out right now. Policygenius.com slash Shapiro. Okay, so according to CNN, the NAACP is warning people of color about traveling to Florida. They issued this travel advisory, quote, in direct response to DeSantis' aggressive attempts to erase black history and to restrict diversity, equity, and inclusion programs in Florida schools, the group said Saturday in a statement. Now remember, Florida requires the teaching of black history. You have to learn about slavery. You have to learn about Jim Crow. All of that is required by Florida law. It must be taught in Florida schools. As far as diversity, equity, and inclusion, what that means is that you're not allowed to essentially use affirmative action programs or Ibram X. Kendi anti-racism training in any sort of publicly funded program. What does that have to do with the safety of black Americans? Nothing. But It doesn't matter. The NAACP president, Derek Johnson, he was out there saying that it is literally unsafe for you to go to Florida right now. Here's what he had to say.
1: You just heard uh, the words of DeSantis himself calling this call by the NAACP a stunt. How do you respond? Well, the governor has uh, perfected the art of doing stunts to gain campaign contributions. Unfortunately, this will impact people's lives. Uh, We should not use race or othering as a tool to weaponize against people. And unfortunately for a large percentage of the Floridians, that's what he has done. Therefore, we are advising African-Americans and others that if you travel to Florida, beware that your life is not valued, that we have a political landscape that could cause harm as we prepare for the 2024 elections.
0: All this proves the NAACP is just a Democratic Party apparatus and they've lost all relevance, like all political relevance. If the NAACP has been relegated to targeting racism by suggesting that if you travel to Florida, that your life is at stake, they're a joke at this point. And they they clearly are a joke, by the way. How much of a joke are the members of the NAACP board? At least five members of the NAACP board have enjoyed vacationing in Florida under Governor DeSantis, according to Matt Wolking, despite their recent warning that others should avoid traveling to the state. That includes NAACP board vice chair, Karen Boykin Towns, who went to a lovely Florida vacation in April of 2021. It also enjoyed. It has also been enjoyed by Claude Cummings Jr., another NAACP board member. Also, NAACP board member Teresa Deere visited Florida under Governor Ron DeSantis, said that she was having a delightful time. NAACP board member Michael Curry enjoyed time in Miami, Florida under Governor DeSantis as well. And NAACP board member Scott Asdally loves traveling around the great state of Florida under Governor DeSantis. He went multiple times to Florida. So obviously he is living in just virulent fear that he's going to be murdered on the streets of Florida because Governor DeSantis does not truck with diversity, equity, and inclusion. All of this is absurd on its face. The media are running with it anyway. My, my, perhaps my favorite take on this comes courtesy of an MSNBC guest who is now suggesting that she went to Florida, she's a lesbian black woman, but she went to Florida for spring break, but she did so at risk to her own life which is what you normally do on spring break down to Florida. Here we go.
1: I think it was extremely clever, um, and, and I really appreciate the NAACP's guidance uh, on this issue. You know, I just took my family to, to spring break in Florida recently, and I think about all of the folks who traveled there for sun and joy um, and peace and restoration, and to be reminded that actually this is getting to the point where Florida is about to be a terrorist state to, to many of us here in America. Certainly as a lesbian, as a black woman, I don't want to have anything to do with the Place.
0: So then why did you go there for spring break? That was like five minutes ago. Zaisha Mills, that that that's not do you go to terrorist states normally for a vacation? You know, places where you literally are going to be murdered for who you are? Is that something that you typically do for actual vacation, not for ideological reasons? You just head on down to Florida because you, as a lesbian black woman, have your life in danger. Of course, this is unbelievably silly. Representative Byron Donald of Florida, he slammed the NAACP over all of this as he should.
1: The NAACP hereby issues a travel advisory to African Americans and other people of color regarding the hostility towards African Americans in Florida. Why are they doing that? This is silly and it's dumb, it's political, it makes no sense. We should be focused on making sure people actually have the opportunity to achieve, which Florida is actually doing and thriving in way better than than other states, let's say New York or California or Washington state. We're doing a significantly better job helping black Americans succeed. Um, And it's not just about me, it's about all the millions of black people that live in our state. Mm -hmm. They're talking about the, they say regarding the hostility toward African Americans in Florida. Do you feel hostility? (laughs) <laughs> no, no. I, again, this is so dumb. I don't even know what we're talking about, man. The only hostility I feel is this inflation hit in my pocketbook. I'll tell you that.
0: Byron Donald's, of course, exactly right. and That's coming from somebody who's already endorsed President Trump. It's, it's one of the dumbest political hits I've ever seen. By the way, I should mention at this point that 17% of Florida's population is black and that Florida's black immigrant population saw an 81% growth from 2000 to 2019 with the addition of 350,000 people. That growth is larger than the entire 2019 black immigrant population of Colorado, Arizona, Washington, Nevada, Indiana, and Ohio combined. So, yeah, clear, clearly you're taking your life in your hands if you're a black person in Florida. It's just the, the stupidest garbage ever. That was not the only ridiculous hit on DeSantis over the weekend. Politico, which has just become essentially a talking points outlet for the Democratic Party as well, put out an article targeting Casey DeSantis. Now, let me, I've met Casey uh, several times. She is one of the most charming people on earth. Casey is a delight. Okay, Ron's wife is just a wonderful person. And this entire article is about how terrible she is. They literally compare her to Lady Macbeth in this article. Who do they quote to suggest that Casey DeSantis is, in fact, Lady Macbeth? They quote David Jolly, an ex-GOP Florida congressperson, who's now an MSNBC analyst. They quote a bunch of anonymous Republican lobbyists. They quote Roger Stone, who is a Trump devotee and a rat effer extraordinaire. That's literally his job. He's going to compare her to Lady Macbeth. Quote, Stone's hyperbolic charge is part of a broader effort on the part of Trump to kill in the crib the candidacy they consider their greatest threat. They recently have scored a series of key, albeit early strategic wins, a flurry of in-state endorsements, for instance, contributing to the perception of a novice faltering to that's also visible in a slide in early primary polls. In the tragic drama, of course, Lady Macbeth prods her husband to kill the king so she can be the queen. At this juncture, the literary analogy only goes so far. And then that, that's because DeSantis isn't going so far after, uh, after Trump, really. But they then quote a bunch of former DeSantis administration staffers, quote, she sees ghosts in every corner. She's more paranoid than he is, said a second staffer. He's a vindictive, he's a vindictive mother effer. She's twice that, said a higher up on one of his campaigns. She's the scorekeeper. Does she sort of humanize the robot? Does she push him on the grip and grin, baby kissing, give him a cleaner, softer image? Yes, said another former gubernatorial staffer. Does she also feed into his worst instincts of being secluded and insular and standoffish with staff? Yes. So um, the idea here is that she's bad because he trusts her a lot and uses her as a political advisor. Obviously, that's terrible. Now, there's only one problem with this theory, which is um, that, again, Casey is rather delightful. As a cancer-surviving mother of several children, uh, she also happens to be a pretty good political advisor to a guy who just won the state of Florida by 20 points. So it is obvious that this is effectively a two-person race. The entire media are allied not against Trump, but against DeSantis in the primaries. Trump has joined them, which is why he's attacking DeSantis from the left. And you're going to see a series of ridiculous hits on DeSantis, despite the fact that Trump, the person that is supposedly the most dangerous person in the race uh, and, and the person, most dangerous person in America, is running. The media, are they know exactly who they want to be the nominee pretty clearly at this point. Okay, in just one second, we'll get to the latest on the national debt fight. Believe it or not, Republicans are about to win a battle, and they should take yes for an answer. We'll get to that momentarily first. The CEO of Innovation Refunds and GetRefunds.com has been on TV explaining how they've helped so many small businesses with their ERC tax refunds. They've completed thousands of returns for different kinds of businesses, including over $700 million for construction companies and over $200 million in restaurants, bars, and hotels. Innovation Refunds has hundreds of five-star Trustpilot and Google reviews and is certified with the Better Business Bureau. In just eight minutes, you can easily start the process on GetRefunds.com. It could be on your way to receiving up to twenty six dollars per employee. The ERC tax credit is not alone, it's a refund of your already paid taxes designed to but the business owner direct the refund money into anything the business needs to grow. That's money you can use to actually improve your business however you see fit. So why would you leave money on the table when you don't have to? Go to getrefunds.com to start the process right now. There's no upfront charge. They don't get paid unless you get paid. Innovation refunds has already helped clients claim over $5 billion in payroll tax refunds through the ERC. They may be able to help your business too. Go to GetRefunds.com or download that app from the App Store today. That's GetRefunds.com today. Again, if you paid too much money to the federal government, you can get that money back. Why not go get it right now? Go to GetRefunds.com or download the app from the App Store today. That's GetRefunds.com today. Also, you might have been one of the tens of millions of people who watched Netflix's hit show, Making a Murderer. If so, you are going to love Daily plus's new exclusive 10-part docuseries with Candace Owens, Convicting a Murderer, coming this summer. There's no such thing as your truth, there's only the truth. And while it seems like we're living in a world where the actual truth is pretty hard to come by, Many people are still pursuing it. That includes everyone at the Daily Wire, especially Candace, when it comes to this particular topic. When Candace found out the key facts may have been omitted in Netflix's series, she set out to uncover the truth behind the notorious Stephen Avery case. The end result is a new series called Convicting a Murderer. You're not going to want to miss it. There's never been a better time to become a Daily Wire Plus member. Sign up right now for Convicting a Murderer. you receive an early bird discount of 30% off your Daily Wire Plus membership when you use code truth. This is your last chance for 30% off, so don't wait until the series comes out this summer. You'll also get all of the other premium content from Daily Wire Plus, including... The Greatest Lie Ever Sold. What is a Woman? The largest collection of content from Dr. Jordan B. Peterson, including his series on the Book of Exodus. Join now at dailywire.com slash subscribe. Become a member. See the truth when it finally comes out. Okay, meanwhile, the debt ceiling is about to be hit. We're supposed to hit that beginning of June. Janet Yellen is claiming that uh, that date is immovable, that we are basically on the verge of hitting it right now. Meanwhile, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy and President Biden have still not reached a deal to raise the debt ceiling following a high-stakes meeting at the White House. According to the Wall Street Journal, they plan to press ahead with talks as the US nears a deadline to prevent a first-ever default. Now, this is the rare circumstance on a debt ceiling fight where Republicans actually have the upper hand. That doesn't mean they shouldn't cut a deal. They should. If the if the debt ceiling is hit and Biden doesn't offer and Biden offers something, Republicans will be blamed. But Biden made a massive strategic error very early on here. Because he was high on his own supply and because his brain does not function properly, the president of the United States very early on said, I'm not going to negotiate at all over the debt ceiling. I want a clean debt ceiling increase with no cuts to spending, none. And we'll argue about the budget later. Well, that was never going to happen because Republicans have control over the purse strings. And Republicans actually did pass a bill with a very narrow majority that essentially made the debt ceiling increase in return for keeping spending at 2022 levels. So this is not massive cuts to government spending. It's actually fairly moderate cuts to government spending. And Joe Biden said, I will not negotiate. This was such a stupid move by him, like a massive failure by Joe Biden. And it put him in a bad position because now it looks as though Joe Biden is the one who's intransigent because he is. And Kevin McCarthy has been able to hold his caucus together throughout all of this. And he's likely to receive a bunch of concessions from Joe Biden, including some actual cuts to spending, like cuts back to 2022 levels of spending. Which, again, the job of the Speaker of the House is to win as many concessions from the President of the United States as he possibly can because it doesn't control the Senate or the presidency. Which means that clawing back some of this and wrong-footing Joe Biden in the process, making Biden look weak. And, by the way, putting Biden on, on thin ice with his own base. Because one of the things that the Republicans have held to is the idea of work requirements for receiving SNAP funding or TAN funding. right? All this government funding that right now is is basically just given to you without you having to work a living. The Republicans are about to claw back some of that stuff. They're about to claw back some COVID funding. All of this is good stuff. And if Biden caves on it, Republicans should take a victory lap. Now, listen, there are a lot of entrenched interests in sort of the Republican commentariat who will tell you to be absolutely purists, that we should absolutely let us hit the debt ceiling. It's going to be great. Okay, number one, hitting that ceiling will not, in fact, be particularly great. And if Republicans are blamed for it, it will be even worse than that. There are a lot of Republicans in swing states and swing districts who will lose their seats over that sort of thing. Plus, the economy will absolutely crater, and that's not good for anybody. But if Republicans are able to win concessions from Joe Biden, if, and, and if they're able to take advantage of the fact that Joe Biden made, again, a massive strategic blunder, and saying you're not going to negotiate preemptively is a massive strategic blunder. It makes you look as though you're stubborn and stupid, which is what Joe Biden is on this topic. Then Republicans should take the victory, and that is a victory for McCarthy, for a speaker who was considered extremely weak when he took office. A person who was barely able on, what was it, the eighth, ninth, tenth vote to get the speakership, to hold together a majority in the House, to get something through that actually carves away concessions from Biden. That's actually just, you know, take good news when you get it sometimes. So Kevin McCarthy, for his part, he said Joe Biden isn't really negotiating, but he needs to negotiate better. He says we need to pass something this week.
1: Earlier this afternoon, Speaker McCarthy laid out a timeline
0: of when the two sides must reach a deal.
1: I think we could we're going do tonight we could tomorrow, but we've got to get something done this week to be able to pass
0: it and move it to the Senate. Okay. Meanwhile, the Democrats are trying to claim that if they don't get a deal, they will somehow be able to unilaterally raise the debt ceiling, which is not really going to happen. Again, they, they keep trying to paint Republicans as crazy terrorists on this thing, but McCarthy is coming off as really moderate here. Here's McCarthy saying, listen. All we're going to do is spend less than less than we did last year, which, by the way, is more than any other year in American history.
1: The underlying issue here is the Democrats, since they took the majority, has been addicted to spending and that's going to stop.
0: We're going to spend less than we spent last year. McCarthy also makes the point we should probably stop borrowing money from the Chinese to pay essentially welfare queens.
1: Are work requirements also still part of this, or are you just talking about spending levels right now, just agreeing on the spending levels? Are work requirements on social safety net that program is going to be part when of this? When you agreement? talk about work requirements, remember, we want to take from people from poverty to jobs. We want to take, it's only for people who are able-bodied with no dependents. I don't think it's right that we borrow money from China to pay somebody that has no dependence, able body to sit on a couch. What we find is people become more productive. So that's that's your that's still a red line for every you? Every study has shown it helps the economy, helps people, and it help our supply chain make us less dependent upon China.
0: Okay, that is absolutely correct. And again, McCarthy's doing a pretty great job of sounding moderate there, which is exactly what the American people want. They just want some sort of sanity here. Meanwhile, Democrats are being as crazy as they want to be. Representative Steve Cohen, uh, Democrat of Tennessee, he says that Joe Biden should use the 14th Amendment to unilaterally raise the debt ceiling, which Joe Biden has already said he can't do. And Janet Yellen has already said he can't do.
1: The validity of the public debt authorized by, by law shall not be questioned. Uh, some legal scholars say that could apply to the debt limit. Um, what's your view on this? Should the president go down this road sooner rather than later, in part because, as he was saying a few moments ago, there would be a legal process that might play out? I'm sure there'd be a legal process that would play out, but I'd always go with Lawrence Tribe. Uh, if he, he's my expert. I think he's considered one of the finest attorneys and legal minds in this country on constitutional issues and others. And he believes it's a valid uh, clause that needs to be uh, foremost in, in the president's mind and that you don't have to make a deal and the, and the whole debt ceiling is is irrelevant. The Constitution says you have to honor the debt. So I think it's an ace in the hole for the president. I think he'd like to negotiate and he'd like to be able to show he can work together with the Republicans.
0: That's an absurdity piled on top of an absurdity. Quoting Larry Tribe, Larry Tribe's piece in The New York Times. He, he says originally that you can't use the 14th Amendment to increase the debt ceiling. But basically because I want to, now I'll pretend that we can. So that's amazing stuff. Meanwhile, the Biden administration failing on pretty much every front. Amazing story. The Biden administration somehow achieved the, the, the signal feat of nuking like a Syrian shepherd and then claiming that the guy was a terrorist. I'm not kidding. Like this one just kind of went over everybody's head. It just didn't get the kind of attention it should. This administration has a really nasty habit of blowing up random people and then claiming they killed terrorists. You remember they did this in the aftermath of the pullout from Afghanistan. They claimed that they had killed like a top ISIS-K member and it turned out that the guy was actually an interpreter for the Americans and uh, we had basically nuked him and his family. Well, now, according to the Washington Post, U.S. military officials are walking back claims that a recent strike in Syria killed an influential al-Qaeda figure. Following assertions by the dead man's family, he had no ties to terrorists, but was a father of 10, tending his sheep when he was hit by an American missile. Apparently, the guy's name was Latfi Hassan Misto, 56. His family identified him as a victim of a hellfire missile attack on May 3rd. He was a former bricklayer who lived quietly in a town in northwest Syria. They described a kind, hardworking man whose whole life was spent poor. The operation was overseen by CENTCOM. They claimed hours after the strike with no evidence or naming a suspect that the predator drone strike had targeted a senior al-Qaeda leader. Now they say we are no longer confident we killed a senior AQ official. They say that, that maybe the guy was al-Qaeda, maybe he wasn't, but um, maybe he was just taking care of sheep and we just decided to nuke him and then tell everybody that everything was fine. Asked about this Jake Sullivan, who, by the way, how does Jake Sullivan still have a job with this administration? He was fundamentally involved in the entire Russia hoax, in planting the Clinton plan, the so-called Clinton plan, planting all the fake intel with intelligence officials so that they could push out lies about Donald Trump and the, and the Russian collusion scandal. Jake Sullivan is still out there with the job. Here he was trying to explain why they had droned a Shepherd.
1: The US is walking back claims that a, that a drone strike in Syria earlier this month killed a senior leader of the terrorist group Al-Qaeda Uh, The family of the man killed uh, told CNN he was just a 56-year-old shepherd with 10 kids, zero connections to terrorism. Is that right, that the strike did not kill the senior al-Qaeda leader, it killed a civilian? And and if it is true that it was a civilian killed, is anyone going to be held accountable? The Pentagon is conducting a full and thorough investigation. They will report the results of that investigation to the president, and we will proceed from there. So far, we do not have uh, evidence to validate the claims being made in Syria, uh, but I am going to withhold any judgment on what exactly happened here until the Pentagon's investigation is complete.
0: It is amazing how this administration has um, a constant habit of just hitting the wrong things with missiles. It's like they won't do anything about a Chinese spy balloon that floats over the entirety of the continental United States, but they'll knock down a weather balloon that's floating above Lake Michigan five seconds later. They won't actually do anything to stop the terrorists from taking over Kandahar and Kabul, but the minute we leave, they'll just kill an interpreter. In Syria, they'll just nuke some random shepherd who's tending to his sheep on a hillside. They're like, oh, big deal. It's totally, totally fine. Meanwhile... This administration apparently also screwed up its estimate with regard to military aid to Ukraine. According to Reuters, the Pentagon overestimated the value of ammunition, missiles, and other equipment and sent to Ukraine by about $3 billion, according to a Senate aid and defense official on Thursday. Why exactly would they say that? They would say that specifically because they wish to give $3 billion more to Ukraine. So what they're saying is, we estimated, say, that we gave... $20 billion in aid to Ukraine. Actually, we were supposed to give 20 and we only gave 17, which means let's send them another $3 billion in aid. This is definitely one way of ending around Congress. Uh, It is is something that does not appear to be perfectly clean. Here's Jake Sullivan trying to explain that one away.
1: There was this very bizarre admission from the Pentagon this week uh, of an accounting error uh, that suggested that the U.S. has at least $3 billion that it didn't know it had that it can use for Ukraine aid. That's a hell of an accounting error. Um, And it provides a lot of fodder to critics of USAID to Ukraine and critics who say there's not enough oversight going on. Um, Are you concerned about this accounting error? Well, one thing I just want to make clear, that is not money that went out the the door and disappeared. That is not uh, a waste of that $3 billion. It is simply a tally of how much military equipment we have given them.
0: Okay, well, I I get it. I just don't understand why you think that makes it significantly better, that you're basically unilaterally devaluing the equipment that we gave to the Ukrainians so that you can sign another $3 billion check to the Ukrainians. Shouldn't that stuff go through Congress at least a little bit? Meanwhile, this administration, by the way, continues to not bring home Paul Whelan. In the middle of the Ukraine-Russia war, Paul Whelan, the ex-Marine who has now been in custody over in Russia for a significant period of time, he was given a 16-year jail sentence in 2020. Um, Whelan is speaking out now. He's like, I don't understand. Why did you guys bring home Brittany Griner Banami? What's the deal?
1: The last time he spoke with CNN's Jennifer Hansler by phone was in December, shortly after the release of WNBA star Brittany Griner, the result of a second prisoner swap between the U.S. and Russia that didn't include Whelan. Today, he fears the possibility of being left behind again, but his tone is more optimistic. I'm more confident now. Um, you know, I, I feel that my life shouldn't be considered less valuable or important than others who have been uh, previously traded. I have been told that although Evan's case is a priority, mine is also a priority.
0: Okay, but um, he is still sitting and waiting to actually be liberated. Meanwhile, Brittany Greiner... She's back playing in the WNBA after we released the Merchant of Death to bring home a WNBA player. Again, very, very bad trade and the only time anyone has ever cared about a WNBA trade. This has to be the clip of the day. Brittany Griner's coach was upset. Why? Well, because Brittany Griner played for the first time in a long time and the game did not sell out. Why did it not sell out? Because it's a WNBA game. No WNBA game has ever sold out so far as I'm aware. Here's Brittany Brittany Griner's coach trying to call out the fans.
1: It was great, but like, honestly, come on, LA. Like, we didn't sell out. The arena for BG, like, I expected more, you know, to be honest, right? Like, it was great, it was loud, but um, how, was, how was it not a sellout? How was it not a sellout?
0: Because um, no one cares about your sport? That would be the reason? Because no one wants to watch women's basketball? That would be the reason? Also, I, I do enjoy, Is a point made by comedian Bill Burke, Why is it that women are always complaining that men don't show up to WNBA games? When when was the last time you heard a man complain not enough women were showing up to NBA games? And it turns out that, you know who likes men's basketball? Everybody, but especially men. Women constitute half the population, as Bill Burr points out, and yet they constitute zero people going to the actual WNBA games. You guys want to pack the house? Go for it, man. You can watch ladies play fundamentally sound basketball that would get defeated by a fairly decent high school boys basketball team. Enjoy yourself. Okay, time for a quick thing I love and then a thing that I hate. So... Things that I love today. Okay, it's not just things that I like, it's things that I love. So, over the weekend, my wife gave birth to our fourth child. Beautiful baby boy. It's a real squishy. My my wife is an amazing human being and an amazing wife, an amazing woman. Thanks to God for her, thanks to God for the baby. You know, it, it's always it's always so dramatic. I mean, giving birth is like an amazing. So I I've seen my wife do it four times now, and every time you're never you never cease to be astonished by the miracle of watching this thing happen. And it raises so many thoughts in your head. Number one, the absolute power and magic of being a woman to to, to give birth is just like, it's it's an amazing, amazing thing. It's a magical thing. It's a superpower. A woman is able to grow in her body another human being, nurture that human being for nine months. And then she has to somehow push that human being out. And then she can begin to nourish that, that new human being, with her own body. It's, it's an amazing, unbelievable thing to watch. It's a miracle in real time. It's always deeply moving. Anybody who's not religious, watch a childbirth. And I, I challenge you to, to question whether miracles exist because it's it's every single time, it's it's just a miracle. The fact that women do it repeatedly is a miracle in and of itself. And my wife's done it four times. And the amount of you know pain and suffering that it takes to actually do that. And then you go back and do it again because this is an important thing. You put your own body on the line To bring another human being into the world. I mean, it's just the most giving, unbelievable thing in the entire world. It also leads to political thoughts like anybody who believes that two minutes before this baby exited my wife, this baby was not a baby, is out of their mind. You have to be a complete nutcase to actually believe that in the ninth month of pregnancy or the eighth month or the seventh month of pregnancy or the sixth month of pregnancy, that what is inside the womb is not a human being. You have to be totally crazy because you can see the baby come out. And when the baby comes out, it is materially no different than when it was inside. And yet there are really people in this world who believe that it was not a baby when it was, the woman has a right to choose, even at that moment, which is just utter craziness. It's utter, absolute insanity and craziness. But the amount of gratitude that I have for the Almighty for giving us a healthy child and the amount of gratitude I have for the medical staff for helping to, to make all of this happen, modern medicine is an incredible, incredible thing. And the amount of gratitude I have for my astonishing wife, who's astonishing in every single way. She not only has the babies, but then takes care of the babies. And then, of course, she's a doctor on the side and, and somebody who really has her priorities straight, somebody who knows what her priorities are in life and really takes care of our children. Uh, it's it's an astonishing, astonishing thing. I could not be happier or more grateful uh, for baby number four repopulating the earth uh, with baby Shapiro's. And, of course, he is a very squishy baby. He is a very squishy baby indeed. Okay, time for a couple of things that I hate. So, thing number one that I hate. Remember last week I told you that the Dodgers had uh, been pressured and had finally caved to common sense, at least in a minor way. They continued to do their pride night, the LA Dodgers. But then they decided that uh, they were going to uninvite the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, which is a wild, radical, insane, anti-religious group. They... Dress up like nuns and then promote promiscuity and, uh, and indecent behavior. And it turns out that that offends a lot of people, particularly in Los Angeles, which has a heavily Catholic fan base. And so the Dodgers backed off it. Well, now they backed off the back off. They put out another statement. They said, After much thoughtful feedback from our diverse communities, honest conversations within the L.A. Dodgers organization, and generous discussions with the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, the L.A. Dodgers would like to offer our sincerest apologies to the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, members of the LGBTQ plus minus divided by sign community, and their friends and families. We have asked the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence to take their place on the field at our 10th annual LGBTQ plus minus divided by sign Pride Night, June 16th. We are pleased to share that they've agreed to receive the gratitude of our collective communities for the life-saving work they've done tirelessly for decades. Oh, so much life-saving work. The life-saving of mocking Catholics and promoting sexually deviant behavior, like truly astonishing work there. In the weeks ahead, we'll continue the work with our LGBTQ plus minus divided by sign partners to better educate ourselves, find ways to strengthen the ties that bind and use our platform to support all our fans who make up the diversity of the Dodgers family. Oh, so nice, so wonderful. So indecent. But yeah, I guess now you have to take sides in the culture war. Taylor Swift's silence is definitely. You can't just be a baseball team that does baseball things. Now, you must speak out on behalf of the left. And if you do not speak out on behalf of the left, then you will be held to account. That is the only reason why the Dodgers do this. Well, there has to be a countervailing pressure from the right on teams like the Dodgers. And if you are a Catholic, you shouldn't be going to this game. You shouldn't be going to any of the games, in fact. You should be telling the Dodgers precisely what you think of them. Alrighty, guys, the rest of the show continues right now. You're not going to want to miss it. We'll be getting into the Vaunted Ben Shapiro Show mailbag. If you're not a member, become a member. Use code SHAPIRO at checkout for two months free on all annual plans. Click that link in the description and join us. <laughs>